For the most part, human evolution and migration are no mysteries. We know, for instance, that our earliest ancestors left Africa some 1.75 million years ago. From there, they spread themselves across the Middle East and Eurasia. By the last Ice Age, these early human populations had spread into Central and Western Europe, crossed the Bering Strait from Siberia into North America, and traveled down into Southern Asia and Australia. By the end of said Ice Age, some 10,000 years ago, much of the world had been populated, the descendants of whom would become the diverse races and ethnicities we see today. And yet, there are those populations in remote corners of the world whose origins remain a mystery, as well as the subject of both historical and anthropological debate. One such people are the Ainu of Japan, though their tradition dictates that they have lived on the island nation since time immemorial, long before the quote-unquote children of the sun their name for the Japanese came, their stark physical differences from other Asian ethnicities truly make them stand out. Just who are the Ainu? Where exactly do they come from? And what are some of the dangers their culture and language face today? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. If my listeners will allow me to get personal for a second, as you may have guessed based upon my last name, I am of half-Japanese ancestry. My father was born there and immigrated to the United States as a teenager. Growing up, I heard a great many stories about his upbringing there and was exposed to its unique and rich culture from an early age. That being said, I first heard about the Ainu people through my father. It wasn't until years later, however, that I conducted my own research into this most fascinating, albeit oft-overlooked, culture, during which time I learned that it faces the very real threat of extinction. There are, however, people and groups both in Japan and abroad doing what they can to keep said culture alive. That being said, my purpose for making this episode is to spread awareness of the Ainu in the hopes that it will inspire others to do their own research and share what they've learned with the world. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Perhaps the biggest question surrounding the Ainu is, where did they come from? This is a loaded question that covers a great deal of ground. As previously stated, their physical appearance differs greatly from that of other Asians. They have more body hair, for instance, and are lighter skinned and more fairly complected than surrounding ethnicities. One of their legends, called Yukarupopo in the Ainu language, states that they've been living in Japan, quote, a hundred thousand years before the children of the sun came, unquote. While their presence on the archipelago does indeed predate the arrival of the modern Japanese by several thousands of years, it's believed that their culture is directly descended from the first people who settled in Japan during the last Ice Age, the Jomon. The Jomon arrived some 30,000 years ago when the island nation was still connected to the Asian mainland thanks to lower sea levels. Scientists trace their origins to Southeast Asia, not just because they first settled on Okinawa and the Ryukyu Islands south of Japan, but thanks in part to dental studies, which reveal a number of similarities between the two. Not only that, but a 2016 study revealed that modern Japanese only possess about 13% of Jomon ancestry in their genome, an amount that's considerably higher in both Okinawan and Ainu populations, leading scientists to believe that the Jomon were not, in fact, a homogenous group as previously thought, but, instead, a population made up of anywhere from a couple to several different groups, which also could account for the fact that the Okinawan language is related to Japanese, while Ainu remains a language isolate. The arrival of the Jomon people gave rise to the Jomon period, the earliest period in Japan's recorded history. A society of hunter-gatherers, they eventually began to establish permanent settlements up and down the country. They made tools and jewelry of stone, bone and antler, as well as clay pottery and lacquerware noted for its cord-like markings. While they didn't practice agriculture in the traditional sense, there is evidence to suggest that they tended to nut and lacquer-producing trees, as well as hemp, soybean, and adzuki, or Japanese red bean. A more sophisticated form of agriculture would develop with the arrival of the Yayoi people in around 400 BC. These people are the ancestors of the modern Japanese. 
Arriving from the Korean Peninsula by boat, they settled primarily on the main island of Honshu at first, bringing bronze working with them as well as wet rice farming. As they continued to populate and spread, however, they often became involved in skirmishes with the Jomon people on the Japanese mainland, ultimately driving them up into northern Honshu and southern Hokkaido, the latter being the northernmost island in the Japanese archipelago. There, these displaced Jomon mingled with the nearby Okhotsk people of far eastern Russia, forming a hybrid culture that would ultimately become the Ainu. For centuries, the Ainu lived and thrived primarily in Hokkaido and parts of the east coast of Russia, maintaining little or no contact with their Japanese neighbors to the south. Their rich culture was also quite different from any other in the region. Men, for instance, grew full beards, and both genders wore their hair down to their shoulders. Women tattooed their mouths and sometimes forearms beginning in childhood, which would grow in size as they grew older and would finally be completed once they reached the ages of 15 or 16, when they were considered adults and allowed to marry. Their religion was animistic, in which they believed that everything in nature, both living and inanimate, possesses a kamui, spirit or god, within them. Most important of these were Kamui Huchi, the goddess of the hearth who guards the gateway between our world and the world of the deities, Kim Un Kamui, god of bears and mountains, and Repun Kamui, god of fishing, the sea, and marine wildlife. Hunting was tied to their faith in that each animal they killed for consumption would have their spirits sent back via prayers and offerings at an altar. The hunter-gatherer aspects of their society had been maintained from their Jomon ancestors. Bears, foxes, deer, Rabbits, badgers, oxen, and fish such as salmon constituted their diet as well as various plant life that grew naturally in Hokkaido. Hunting would generally take place from late autumn through early summer. The rest of the year was spent stockpiling fish and edible flora. Specific hunting grounds were set aside for each village and heavy penalties were enacted when and if encroachment occurred. They resided in thatch-roofed huts, yet another remnant of their Ice Age progenitors, which boasted a fireplace in the center, a hole in the roof from which smoke could escape, a window on the east-facing wall, and two doors. The largest of these domiciles was reserved for the village head or chieftain, and was used as a communal meeting place when village matters needed to be discussed. These traditions and practices remained virtually unchanged for eons, with the Ainu living harmoniously on their island refuge of Hokkaido. Then, in the 13th century, they were cast into the spotlight of history, and first exposed to the wonders and dangers of the outside world. The 13th century was an eventful time for the Ainu people. It was in this century that they first made contact with the modern Japanese, establishing trade with the quote-unquote children of the sun to the south, exchanging fish and other game for luxury goods and rice. A prosperous trade network was established between the two factions. Then, in 1264, the Ainu invaded the land of the indigenous Nivk people of Sakhalin Island off the east coast of Russia. They then proceeded to undertake an expedition into the Amur region of Russia, which, at that time, was under the control of the Yuan dynasty the Mongol Empire-controlled dynasty in China. Under the orders of Kublai Khan, Mongol forces were sent to Sakhalin to aid their Nifk allies against the Ainu, thus greatly outnumbering them and forcing them to surrender. Relations with the Japanese weren't much better. Tensions with the Ainu arose in the mid-Muromachi period, 1336 to 1573, when the Japanese began establishing settlements along the southern coast of Hokkaido. Then, in 1456, said tensions came to a boiling point when Nobuhiro Takeda, a daimyo, or feudal lord and landowner, killed the Ainu leader Koshamain, leading to an all-out revolt. Over the course of the next year, the Ainu clashed with Takeda's samurai forces in bloody conflict. Ultimately, the samurai won out, and the Ainu became Japanese subjects, forced to pay tribute to Takeda and his descendants, who would, over a century later, form the Matsumae clan, which would prove pivotal in suppressing any and all potential threats of further Ainu resistance. 
The rise of Ieyasu Tokugawa as shogun, that is, commander-in-chief, a sort of precursor to the role of prime minister in 1603, ushered in the Edo period, 1601 to 1868, which saw an increase in Japanese presence on Hokkaido. The Bakufu, or feudal government, under Tokugawa granted the Matsumae clan, whose ancestor Takeda had killed the Ainu leader, Koshamain, nearly 150 years before, exclusive rights to establish trade with the Ainu on the northern part of the island. More and more Japanese merchants began to arrive, bringing smallpox and other diseases with them, greatly reducing the Ainu population. Such conditions became so unbearable that they led to two violent revolts, the first in 1669, called Shakushain's Revolt, which lasted for three years, and another in 1789, dubbed the Menashi Kunashir Battle. Both times, though they fought valiantly, the Ainu were vanquished. In 1799, the shogunate took control of southern Hokkaido. They abducted Ainu men and sent them to merchant subcontractors to serve out grueling five- or ten-year contracts with the promise of food and clothing if they agreed to abandon their language and heritage to become fully Japanese. The women suffered an even worse fate. Separated from their families, they were forcibly married to Japanese merchants and were beaten and tortured if they didn't return the affections or sexual advances of their new quote-unquote husbands. Many fled into the mountains. This combination of deadly diseases and forced assimilation caused a drastic decline in the Ainu population. In the 18th century, there had been approximately 80,000 Ainu living on Hokkaido. By the end of the Edo period in 1868, that number was reduced to 15,000, and their struggles were far from over. With the opening of Japan to the world in 1868, rapid industrialization and westernization took the nation by storm. The shogunate fell, thus restoring political power to the emperor. Emperor Meiji, the ruling monarch of the time, annexed southern Hokkaido, largely to, quote, defend Japan from a rapidly developing and expansionist Russia, to offer a solution to the unemployment of the former samurai class, and to yield the needed natural resources for a growing capitalist economy. Naturally, this annexation negatively affected the island's Ainu population. In 1899, they were officially recognized as quote-unquote former aborigines by the Japanese government and automatically granted Japanese citizenship. This, however, stripped them of their status as an indigenous group, and their land was placed directly under Japanese control. Their language, religion, and customs were all banned. During this time, the Ainu often encouraged one another to marry into Japanese families so that they would face less discrimination. Within a couple generations, the descendants of these Ainu-Japanese unions were virtually indistinguishable from full-blooded Japanese. It would take a whopping 98 years to reverse the 1899 Act, which, up until the year 1997, stated that there were no ethnic minority groups native to Japan. Finally, on June 6, 2008, the government passed a resolution that recognizes the Ainu people as an indigenous group and calls for an end to discrimination against them. It reads in part that, quote, the government would like to solemnly accept the historical fact that many Ainu were discriminated against and forced into poverty with the advancement of modernization, despite being legally equal to Japanese people, end quote. Furthermore, in February 2019, a bill was passed which officially recognizes the Ainu as an indigenous population, based on Article 14 of the Japanese Constitution, which states that, quote, all people are equal under the law, unquote. In April that same year, another bill was passed officially recognizing the Ainu as the indigenous people of Japan. Fast forward to 2020. The National Ainu Museum and Park opened on July 12th after two prior postponements due to the coronavirus pandemic. The museum's mission statement is to promote and educate the Japanese people as well as the world about the rich history and culture of the Ainu people. But does all this come too little too late? As of 2018, there were only 10 native speakers of Ainu left in Japan, and therefore the world. However, 
there are a number of people and movements both in Japan and abroad that are doing whatever they can to ensure that this rich lineage continues to live on. Jirota Kitahara Mokotunas, Associate Professor of Ainu and Indigenous Studies at Hokkaido University, who himself is of Ainu heritage, travels around the country giving lectures on Ainu history and culture. Ainu music has also become popular, not just with young Ainu descendants, but Japanese people as well. Artists and bands such as Maruru, an Okidub Ainu band, record and play traditional Ainu music on traditional instruments, such as the tonkori, a stringed instrument, and the mukuri, a sort of harp traditionally played by women. The story of the Ainu has even made it into the world of manga. Golden Kamui, written and illustrated by Satoru Noda, is a popular series that follows the exploits of a Russo-Japanese war veteran and his friend, an Ainu girl. It has also been adapted into a beloved anime series. At long last, the Ainu are finally getting their due throughout Japan and across the world. It goes without saying that, like many indigenous populations the world over, the Ainu have suffered a great deal of injustice. From being forcibly assimilated and virtually having their entire culture wiped out to being hunted and killed for no reason, it's a miracle but a blessing that their heritage has survived to the present day. At long last, the steps are being put in motion to preserve this treasure of a culture, which serves as the one link, the one glimpse into Japan's ancient and storied past. The phrase, remember where you came from, is an important one, and it's one that the Ainu people have undoubtedly taken to heart. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Before I go, I'd like to take a moment and give a shout-out to my first three monthly supporters, Hannah Roger, Helen Sakamoto, and Irene Coppell. Thank you so much for your generosity and continued support. I truly cannot do this without you. And remember, my listeners, if you like what you hear and would like to support this podcast to ensure continued content, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just go to anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button. There are monthly support plans in three different tiers. Any and all help counts and is greatly appreciated. And it's the enthusiasm of all my listeners that keeps me going each week. From the bottom of my heart, thanks to all of you. And remember, be sure to tune in next Thursday and every Thursday for a brand new episode of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time.